Welcome to Mind Rewind, a voyage through mental health journeys by those with the courage and desire to share their experiences with you. Through the insight and lived experience of others, you may find the tools and strategies that could benefit you and the strength to reach out for support. Listen and you'll hear messages of hope and that there is no obstacle that cannot be overcome when there is a willingness and bravery to tackle your challenges. Just a warning that some of the content of this story may be confronting for some listeners. If you or someone you know needs crisis support, speak with someone today. Please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. My name is Jack Payne and you're listening to Mind Rewind and my guest today is Ricky from Melbourne. Hi Ricky, how are you? Hi Jack, I'm good. Nice to meet you um, and I'm, I'm really excited actually to hear your story today. This podcast is about listening to people's journeys through mental health experiences, but also understanding where they are today because anything that we feel, anything we experience almost certainly doesn't last forever. And we want that message to get out there, that, that things move forward and things move on. For those deeply struggling, they might be interested to hear what you do today before we go into your story. Well, today, um, now I find myself in my 30s, in my 30s, uh, things are much better off in my life now. Like, I'm pretty happy and content. I work as a counsellor in private practice, but also, also work with young people um, in out-of-home care through a foundation called Lighthouse, Lighthouse Foundation. So they have homes across Victoria and young people for various circumstances who are unable to live with their biological family have a safe, secure place to live and grow up. Amazing. What had you enter the world of counselling? I think I can have a, a wild stab, but I'd rather hear it from you. Yeah, so I guess the the initial gist of it is that at Going into my 20s, I had this kind of experience where a lot of things were going on, um, which I'm sure we can dive into a bit more detail after this. From there, I just took up the task of learning what I could. And with that, I really developed an interest for psychology, how the mind works, a bit of philosophy sprinkled in there and just, you know, motivation, personal growth and those kind of things. So it was later on in my life where I realized, hey, I want to do something a bit more fulfilling with my time. And from everything that I had learned through applying it to my own life, I realized that there was an avenue for me to, you know, go into the profession of counseling. And I also had started kind of an artistic project called Boy Under the Bridge, which was a platform that I opened for me just to voice my thoughts and journal. Um, and then that kind of created you know, this opportunity for me to share everything that I was learning with other people. And then it seemed like an obvious choice to be like, hey, I'm really doing this kind of for free on the internet, supporting people. Why not get that qualification, get registered, and then be able to offer a service for it within the parameters of, you know, counselling? Interesting. A lot of counsellors have their own lived experience. I think that's why we're often referred to as the wounded healers. But have you found that your experience through your own mental health journey help you to relate to your clients and, and the work that you do today? Absolutely. I have worked for various mental health organisations in Australia as well. And I noticed just from that interaction with seeing people on social media, there's this always a sense of like, when you're in the experience, you feel like no one else gets it, or you're the only one, or you're this soul island floating in this sea. Um, and then reading other people's stories just hits a different degree of relatability. And I think you mentioned before, like, that's why people love music. They love movies because they can see themselves in other people. 
Absolutely. And suddenly we're less alone. You mentioned before that you had um, things happen in your 20s. Yeah. I would love to hear some of those things if you are willing to, yeah, to talk absolutely. about Yeah, So, I, as I said, I live in Melbourne now, but I grew up in Brisbane. And so I had a pretty great childhood. And on the other side of that, it didn't really... Can I ask about your childhood yes. like a typical therapist before <laughs> yeah, you move sure, into that? Sure. Um, what, what, what was your family made up of? Did you live at home with mum and dad? Did you have siblings? Yeah, live, live with mum and dad. Mum, dad and an older sister, a few years older. So I kind of had her to, to guide me through life and also, you know, terrorise me for a lot of it, as siblings <laughs> do. Um, in, in Brisbane, in a nice, secure, safe suburb, um, school down the road, never changed schools because down the road, um, had a part-time job at the supermarket down the road. So it was very like small, safe. Very stable. White picket fence. We actually do have a white picket fence, um, little bubble. <laughs> you are the um, cliche. <laughs> yeah. If anything, there was a bit of experience given that I'm a person of colour, got Sri Lankan heritage and I was growing up in a predominantly Caucasian kind of school. Sure. So there's a bit of like, uh, who am I and where do I fit in with that? But it was pretty minor. I was pretty lucky on the adversity kind of scale of things. Okay. Um, and then it was only till, yeah, I um, was in my 20s and I had graduated uni, entering the big wide world, which I had no real idea about what it was like, what it was like. Girlfriend of three years, first relationship, we split up and nothing hits like first heartbreak. Absolutely. We could relate. Um, and then I sadly had a friend as well that I knew um, pass away. So that was a bit of a shock to realise, hey. Were they happening you know, at the same time, those big, big it moments? Was a similar kind of like one after another lined up kind of thing. Okay. Um, and then a big one for me was just graduating. And then it was during like there was stuff going on in the economy and whatnot, but forces outside of my control. But nevertheless, I took it as a failing on my own part. And was like, oh, okay, everything in my life up to now had been one step after the other. This is what you do. And now it was like infinite possibilities. And the next thing was there because I had to get a job. And that was, you know, I think regardless of what industry you're in, that first step is always hard. But Scary. Yeah. And I took it upon myself as being like, I think I am, you know, failing at quote, quote, life. Um, things aren't going to the plan. And a lot of this undoubtedly was also on the end of the, the breakup because a big part of that was her parents and the way they interpreted me. They were very closed off and nothing to do with me, actually. Like I was, you know, great, but, um, they were very strict and controlling and they just didn't have an appreciation or welcomeness for anyone outside of their kind of social circle. So I didn't understand that, but I took a lot of that personally as well. Okay. Um, and so on the break of that, I, yeah, entered, um, depression. And beyond that point, I had never had any sort of experience with it so or any sort of adversity. So it, I felt like that all weighed on to hit harder. Adversity is the word that, that I'm feeling when you speak. And it sounds like, as you say, it, it actually things unraveled beautifully for you through school, you know, mm. family structure, stability, nice mm. home, and then all of a sudden several things happening at once and we've and it really tests the resilience whether or not we've got this bounce back and it, and it sounds like Absolutely. at that time you struggled but you didn't have previous experience yeah and i'll also add this was at a time before social media taken off right so people weren't sharing you know their stories and mental health wasn't part of the curriculum you know in, in high school and whatnot there was no kind of education around emotions um or preparing you for anything. It was just like history, economics, maths, English, and 
what I feel is such a big part of the experience of being human, this inside. The social and the emotional, no, absolutely, yeah, incredibly important. Not, we weren't given any sort of context for it. So it was just like, and then, of course, my parents, because they were from like it. Uh, a bit older and a different generation from overseas, there was also at times a bit of um, struggle to kind of like connect with them in the terms of what I was experiencing and them really understanding. In that period where things were starting to fall apart to a certain extent and yeah, you were, like and they, there was self-blame. Yeah, and they absolutely were like, you know, um, you can, you live here, there's a riff of your head, you know, you're not going to be, you know, got a place to live and, you know, if you need money, everything, everything like that, they're, you know, providers for sure. But, you know, sometimes that's kind of not enough, even if people are there in that way. It's, it's a different kind of um, experience, you know, to go through. Because when it comes to self-worth, it's not that you want other people to do the things for you. It's you want to be able to do them yourself. So that was really what was missing. Absolutely. So they didn't understand your experience. Was that cultural? Was that relational or was it because you didn't share it i guess is the bottom line to a degree they could see i was acting different i was down um but you know on the, t- the side of topic of adversity you know my pets had grown up overseas so different experiences so my father had come from sri lanka and got a scholarship at 18 and then moved to czechoslovakia and wow. here i am you know 20 and not even you know still living at home so he had he was pretty like you know well-versed in his resilience. So he was like, you know, these things happen and you'll get through it and everything like that. But, it's, yeah, it still was something that I had to, you know, go through. Okay. I think, yeah. So you had those first feelings of depression and, and quite often when, you know, mood is slipping, um, we can often be the last person <laughs> to recognise that something really quite serious is going on. How long did it take for you to recognise that you were doing battle in your head? I was aware of it pretty much, you know, following the immediate breakup because I was just waking up in the morning and then my first thought was like, I don't want to go through this again, you know, and I, I really looked forward to sleeping. I would just go to friends' houses and be a bit dissociative and like really struggle to like engage. Um, I wanted the company, but at the same time, it felt like a lot of it would be faking the happiness. The mask. The mask. Yeah. Um, Luckily, I had the gym and fitness has always been a thing that's been um, very close to, you know, my mental well-being. So that continued to be something to keep kind of me in motion. So you pushed through and continued to attend even when you were retreating and withdrawing in other areas? Absolutely, yeah, because a lot of my self-esteem had been tied to, you know, growing up, you know, more so from 17 onwards, like getting into the weights and everything like that. And that whole world is around the fundamental kind of process of like one step after the other, showing up, pushing through the challenges. So I was trying to, that started to bleed through into me going, okay, like I've learned a lot in that space. This is outside of the gym world, but I can apply that mindset. Um, and then it was actually because I was a member of various fitness forums. That was the first place I kind of went for support. Because cause there were forums where people discussed everything, not just fitness, but like off-topic areas. Mm. And that was like some of the first spaces where I really started to like hear other people share their stories and kind of, you know, share myself. And I was like, okay, th- there's a there's a world here. And then I kind of learned about like the world of self-development because I was like, 
oh, okay, like there's things I'm learning here and there's like a process and, um, you know, be it philosophical advice or ever, anything on that, that kind of topic. I'm like, okay. What did you learn? That's an interesting thing to say. I think I just learned a lot, like learning how much the mind affects your reality and how much just changing your perspective of things can change how you feel. But then I started to like realize there's other ways of looking at things and understanding like, hey, you know, the person that you, you know, you just break up, that's not a bad thing. A lot of people have first breakups and rejection in that sense isn't a stain on you forever. It's part of the process. So I was like, oh, okay, I did not know this. And it was just like, click, click, click. How were you able to shift your perspective? Because that's, you know, when you say the words, like, I, of course, if I look at something through a different lens, I'm very likely to feel differently about it, which can be certainly a way out of, of low mood depression, anxiety. But the reality of actually looking at something from another perspective is quite challenging. How did you do it? Yeah, like I understand that because, you know, when my parents would say, you know, it's, you know, you'll be okay and things will get better and this and that, like it felt inaccessible. But I guess the way through that is just finding, finding that little, you know, the little hole, the little, you know, break through the window where the light can, the light, the light can enter that little crack. Um, and by reading things and having conversations, something will be felt. Um, or be it like in the way that you listen to a song and then there's that lyric, there's that one part that just hits. So similar, similar to that, it just takes like being, being honest and being like, okay, I'm reading this doesn't quite click but um you know and luckily there is a lot of great you know resources and people talking about their own experiences and reading that and then going like okay this isn't just a pamphlet from the doctor this is someone's lived experience and they're sharing a story and that inspires or that gives you that sense of hope because it's not just something from a textbook that's like this and this and this and that's not my reality. It's like, oh, no, this person's sharing. They've been through this. I went through that. This is this. And they're like, oh, okay. And it, it gives that, that sense of hope. So that's a thing that worked for you that, you know, and I know there is a lot of information out there and there's a lot available, but often when people are deeply struggling, actually tapping into that information is really difficult. They know it's there. You know, rational mind is very aware that I can go online or I can go to the doctor or I can pick up pamphlets or whatever it might be, but emotional mind is exhausted and it's really hard to try and learn and self-develop in that moment. So f for you did, you, did you find that actually when it was a relational experience that was being exposed that someone else had or, or their own journey with a, a mental health issue, that that became more accessible for you at that time? Absolutely. And with that, having the opportunity to share myself as well, like a natural, I guess, the way a tap runs, like, you know, the tap was turned on, I was given the opportunity to vent, to release, and like on a mechanism of its own, rather than having to do anything necessarily beyond that myself, a sense of lightness would come over me. Okay. And this is when you began that platform where you was, you began talking about what was that going as well. You. But even before that, when I was sharing with people online okay, you know, and actually opening up and then in person as well, I actually spoke to some of my, my friends and cause they knew what, you know, I, you know, was single and to actually open up and actually being like, you know, this is really, this is hard. And then just to, you know, whole space that unconditional acceptance in that it started to feel, you know, healing. Um, and on, on, along with that, like just time, 
I don't want to miss an opportunity to hook into that point because what you've just described then is almost the antithesis of what happens behaviourally when we're low in mood. So you're saying the thing that helped move you forward and out of that darkness was being able to connect with other people and share your story and, and feel heard and feel validated. And, of course, when we're low in mood and struggling with our sense of self, often instinctively we want to retreat to a dark room and hide from the world, which actually makes it feel all the more pervasive. So I guess, you know, hearing you say what worked to help me shift out of it was pushing through and connecting. Absolutely, yeah. And with that, I guess not having to wear the mask as much, which is how, you know, I started to get into more of the writing as well. Like I was, I was learning things and I guess I developed this knack for being like a go-to person for people to speak to um, amongst my friends. And then when I started full-time work as well, things really shifted with that because I was like, oh, I've got a job now and I've got, you know, I was seeing people on a day-to-day basis. And I guess I was returning to my old self in a way, like very, you know, upbeat and telling jokes and everything. But, you know, I developed these close relationships with people as well. So tell me a little about the writing because that's often a beautiful therapeutic activity whether you're suffering or not suffering, I think sometimes just being able to put down on paper those things that you're feeling and get them outside of you is yeah. incredibly helpful. Yeah, it started with, I think, from learning about, you know, journaling as a tool. And so I was Do you just recommend it? <laughs> Absolutely. I can, you know, I've got like a whole, you know, stack of them here. It's just plain notebooks with lined paper. Yeah, fabulous. Um, nothing, nothing fancy. And I remember just starting it and I'd kind of just vent or just talk about things. But I guess when you have certain things to write about, it kind of like prompts, you know, like what are you grateful for today? Like what inspired you? What was challenging? And giving yourself space for these things kind of harnesses your ability to focus and be like, okay, I'm not just remembering today by one thing, which is usually the the, the, the crappy feeling, but okay, in the morning I had this interaction or this thing. And, you know, it, it kind of gives you a bit of like, a wider perspective but also with that with our journal i'd kind of a certain kind of voice side is a kind of form its way oh, in, in the same way yeah in the same way like a, a vocalist might be like oh i'm finding my voice and how i sing i was finding my voice and how i how i started to write and then a friend said to me like that i lived with the house and he was like why don't you like open a blog or something and then you know i just went to a website and i was like what should i call it what should i call it and then Kind of out of nowhere, I just came up with Boy Under the Bridge. And it was kind of based on... Did it um, come from nowhere, really? Or well, looking looking thing. back, do you see a link? Make of it what you will, but I almost call it like divine because there was a bridge in Brisbane that I would go and sit under with my friends and have these conversations. It was kind of like my space. It was like a lovely place. And then I also like rhyme um, and like... And it's innocence, which we're like, you know, let us start with the same syllable. So B, B, boy on the bridge. And then, you know, I try, I think I chose boy because it represents like our connection to the inner child or the usefulness. Um, cause I think that's such an important thing for us to kind of hold on to. Agree. And then there's the red hot chili peppers song under the bridge <laughs> as well. So I, I don't know. It just rolled off the tongue. Um, and then, you know, I ran with it and then we just kind of write, you know, different articles and whatnot and then in 2014 i actually wrote like a book it's called living in cream uh-huh. a, met- a metaphorically messy guide to a sweeter life so in this what i've done is just um i can read i'll read a bit of the blurb 
Living in Cream is a perfectly portioned, humorous yet serious, playful yet philosophical, light-hearted yet soul-bearing guide on how to make the most of the fleeting moments that make up our lives. Happiness like taste may be subjective, but there are a few simple things we can all do to improve how we feel, such as changing our perspectives, which is why Living in Cream offers plenty of different flavors to try. And I actually love ice cream, so that's why so that's I'm covered why. in ice cream. Yeah, and it's the whole idea that, you know, you have an ice cream and you've got to enjoy it in the moment. Because if you just hold on to it, it just melts, you know. So, what, a, what a beautiful description. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in that, I kind of reflected on what I call, you know, my dark night of the soul, that what I experienced and me kind of revealing to everyone and being like, hey, you don't, man, I know this, but I went through a really tough time. But then on, I followed it up with like everything I learned as an antidote. Like I talk about journaling, fitness, dance, all these different tools that really Ooh, Tell me, me. about yeah. dance. I was in Thailand and I saw this young guy in front of this kind of like shop front mirror that was empty with headphones in teaching himself how to like dance. Like he was just repeating the same thing. And I looked at that and I was like, oh, like he's learning how to dance. And before that, I had assumed like, if you can't dance, you can't dance. Like I did never pin together that it was something that you can learn. And I actually had a fear of dancing. Like I didn't go to my high school formal because there'd be dancing. Yeah, it was... Wow. And so I saw this and something just clicked in me and I was like, I'm going to do that. And then, you know, when I came back to um, home Brisbane, I went to um, a dance studio and tried to do a class, but I just couldn't keep up. It just felt clunky. Um, it just was not doing it for me. And then I was like, oh, okay, that sucked. And then I thought, you know what? I pulled into Bunnings on the way home, grabbed like a big mirror, shoved it in the back of my coupe a two-door coupe, and then I put it, you know, in the garage and just put my headphones in and just taught myself. Um, and then, you know, within time I would go, you know, out clubbing and people would just watch me dance. And then I'd be the guy that would even go on the street outside a club who was too full and just, you know, start popping and locking. And, yeah, it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. How fabulous that you went from being completely avoidant, i.e. not going to your formal, yes, yeah. to teaching yourself and being in clubs and people watching you. Yeah, it was kind of like a real surreal just turnaround to, to be like, wow, you know, and I still, I don't actually go like clubbing as much, but like I do now and then go to different events and festivals and, you know, love, love having it. And you love it. Yeah. Amazing. Do these things, journaling, fitness, dance, are they still important in your life today? Because what, what often happens is people tap into these things and it really helps to, to move them forward, you know, some quick, more quickly than others, but forward nonetheless. And then we can find that we let this stuff slide. And of course, it, it actually needs to be an integral part of day-to-day existence, I think. How, what is it like for you? What are the things that you do or channel into day-to-day? Yeah, well, I had, um, when I moved, I moved from, um, Brisbane and I went and lived in Tonga for a year. So I did a volunteer placement, which is where I wrote the book. Um, and then I moved to Sydney. What did you do in Tonga before you moved? I was at a, I was at a high school, um, like a college working as a marketing officer to help them kind of promote their services to the people in Tonga. And also they had a, a student run restaurant. So we we're trying to promote that as well. Um, so it was just a great real, you know, experience to experience different culture and get out of my comfort zone. Yeah. And then, you know, I moved to Sydney f- to work for a uh, reach out, which is a youth mental health service. Yes. Yes. And I reach yeah, out. Yes. So I worked for reach out. Um, so it was in that process kind of, I went through some changes. Like I moved away from the fitness cause it was really, 
it got to a point where I was getting a bit extreme with it as well. So that was kind of where I think I had to reevaluate my identity in terms of it. But I traded that for, I guess, more of my creativity. You know, after writing the book and then when I was in Sydney, started getting to more street art and things. But um, I did notice a period where when I wasn't creative because of my life in Sydney, it was kind of like I, I struggled to find a place to really where I clicked in terms of living. So my foundation wasn't very strong. So then other things on the side slipped. And then I noticed that did affect, you know, my, you know, my mental health for sure. It's really, that's incredible insight, I think, because, you know, when environment is not a good fit for us and, and, you know, that can be in terms of where we're living or what we're doing work-wise or, you know, where we're at school, all those kind of things, is it, it does have a profound impact. Absolutely, yeah. So Sydney was a struggle for you? It was, but it was a great learning experience. Like I, where in Tonga, I kind of had my hand held in terms of from the organization that placed me there. Sydney was, you know, me all, all on my own. Um, but then on the plus side of that, I, when I moved to Melbourne, it was just so smooth because I had learned so much. I was like, yep, this is where I need to live. This is what I want. You know, was able to make for me, go out and make friends and, you know, now have a pretty, pretty great life and been here for, you know, six years now. So you've carved out your life there it's amazing that you're able to make those big changes Mm, and the learning that even through the hard times is still with you today you they're checking in and going this doesn't feel right for me and rather than persisting going actually i need to do something and i think being able to take that action when we're struggling is really important absolutely and i you know, I've gone through a process with my creativity where, you know, I've written the book and everything like that, but I'm in no ways like, you know, a full-time kind of like author or anything like that. So I still do other jobs, but I know that this is a thing that's good for me. Um, you know, the, being creative and exercising and all these things. So I, I, I know there are certain things that are good and, you know, like getting time in nature and all these things. So that's what I would, you know, say to anyone is like find those things that like keep you well kind of think of it as, you know, your mind is like a garden and you've got to tend to the garden, you know, you've got to water it. What are the things that you water it with? Um, and that will affect the growth of it. And of course, you know, like a plant in a garden, if the soil or the environment is toxic or not healthy, then that will have an effect on the plant, how it flowers. So, yeah, I think that's a really good metaphor in terms of making people think about you know, where they placed, you know. I think that's a great metaphor in that we've we, we've got to work out and, and sometimes that's difficult. I think we need to stress that. Sometimes it's not easy to know what it is that makes us feel good. I'll often get people to, to map it, you know, on an app even. If I have a good day or if I have a bad day, if you have a good day, what made it a good day? Because learning about those things that make you feel good is just as important, I think, as working out what your triggers are because actually what you're going to do is try and eliminate one and provide more of the other in your life. So I I agree, finding out what those things are and ensuring that they're in your life in a really balanced way, not just ad hoc, I'm not feeling great, I'm going to hook into a bit of writing. It must be there as sustenance, I guess is what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah. Did you seek external support? at all when you were challenged i did i went to a gp um, and i remember her suggesting i go on antidepressants and no counseling just okay straight to straight to and um part of me just said no i want to i want to get through this 
So I think I was aware at that point that this adversity, what I was experiencing, I was also in the position to learn from. And I was developed, I must have been, you know, improving to a degree. So I was like, no, I can get through this. And I guess because I, you know, had life experience in the gym, I kind of had this mindset of like, you know, take things on as challenges, which is what, you know, fitness is all about, about challenging yourself. So, and I guess through the community I was engaged with online as well, I had, you know, kind of, I was given hope that I could. So that's, that's kind of where that was. And then it was actually, I think a few years after that, that I actually, I had another kind of situation where I lost a job. It was kind of toxic environment, but I, again, took it on myself. Personally. Personally, because I was still young. And then I was like, okay, I'm here again. What am I doing with my life? This was before I went to Tonga, by the way. So I was like, what am I doing with my life? And that, and then I did, I think that was the first time I actually saw a therapist because there was, I think there was a clinic like across the road from me. Um, And I think I only did one session, but um, I, I did find her, she was a bit too soft and gentle for me. Okay, it's an interesting. So I guess I preferred, as a you know, young man, wanted um, someone to be a bit more firmer and I guess more hard love. But one exercise I think we did was just kind of this visualization combined with kind of just drawing what you know I envisioned, um, and that was actually an opportunity to really tap into you know I guess my soul or you know that free form imagination and what do, what do I desire? And I I remember drawing um, myself outside a house that wasn't mine with a young person that wasn't mine. I'd written that. And then, you know, now I look around in my life and I'm like, oh, I work in out of home care with young people who are not mine. So it's, it was pretty amazing when I, when I went home and put that together, I collect a lot of um, journals and mementos. So that's why I actually have the drawing. And that's why. So you keep was, all this, this, you know, essentially it's your process. You've kept your. Uh, uh, I did. I had, I had this kind of thing where I was doing that. Um, but then when I left Brisbane, moved to Sydney and Melbourne, I realized that I just couldn't keep piling up stuff. <laughs> so I, I, you know, if anything, I'll take photos, but, um, but the original kind of collection of items is still in Brisbane. Yeah. So you've got a, an amazing, you know, library, if you like, to some extent of, of what you've worked through. Yeah, I've actually got like a bag here with me. It's 10 years worth of journals. I'm going to write a follow-up to my book. Yeah. So this one will be about my experience going to Tonga, going to Sydney, moving to Melbourne and getting diagnosed with ADHD as well and you know, all these other things. Uh-huh. I want to talk to you about that in a minute. But sure. can, can I just take you back to, because I think it's a really important point um, that you made about therapy, that you went and saw a therapist Mm. and that the lady that you saw wasn't necessarily the right fit for you. You kind of had a sense of what might work for you. And I I think that's a really important thing for anyone who's listening to Mm. understand is that it is crucial to find the right fit and no Mm. therapist, you know, hold my hand up here, is Mm. perfect for everybody Mm. and you've got to be brave enough through the process to say this isn't working for me um, with any therapist. And, you know, it may take two or three attempts of trying to connect someone. Obviously, when you do connect with someone and and develop that therapeutic alliance, it's really powerful and really helpful. But you've got to get there and sometimes it is a little bit of searching to find that right fit for you. Absolutely. I do see, I, when I was in Sydney, I saw another therapist, which is helpful. Before I moved to Tom in Brisbane, I saw a therapist that was helpful. 
And then now in Melbourne, I have someone that, you know, I had started seeing. And then I have someone who also go to for supervision as well. So yeah, it was, I think it was through a recommendation that I saw my other therapist. So, and that's been going on for maybe two years or so, like here and there, not, not weekly, but yeah, when I, when I, when I kind of need it. And so, yeah, I totally vouched for, you know, word of mouth recommendations or just going online and taking advantage of those, you know, consult calls and most importantly, not getting dis- disheartened if, you know, you don't click. I agree. I, I think that's really important because I, and, and I guess that's why I wanted to labour the point is that, you know, for someone to be brave enough to take that first step to go, actually, I need external support here and find mm. someone and then feel like that's not your person, it's okay for that one to not be your person. But your person is out there somewhere, don't give up. Absolutely. And I think also keeping expectations realistic because they're not provider of almighty solutions. They provide a space where you can collaborate on kind of solutions. And, um, you know, I think as a counsellor's work, as I work, I really like to kind of empower people to go down a similar path as to I went where they're developing their own strengths and learning about how, you know, their their inner world works and developing their own philosophies and outlooks and kind of, you know, tips and tricks. I agree. Knowing who you are is probably the most powerful thing in relation to healing. Absolutely, yeah. You also mentioned ADHD, which we haven't touched on, and it's really interesting. I do want to, to ask you a few questions about that because I see more and more and more of it all the time. What's your take on it and what's your experience of it? So my diagnosis came later on in life after I had performance issues at a job. Um, and this was quite after, you know, that initial depression and everything was worked through. Okay. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I'm not going through the same depression now, you know, like I have friends, I'm in a stable place, what's, what's going on? I guess even though I had been involved in the mental health space, I hadn't really known about ADHD because I had wrongly thought it is this thing where it's for young boys who bite their ha- they bite their classmates and flip tables. Like it's kind of got this this kind of you know stigma of being this like hyperactive kid thing. Agree. And so explain was, to us what it is as somebody who has it. It's not a deficit in attention. It's a issue focusing your attention. So for a lot of you know people in school, they'll manifest as just tuning out, being distracted, or being a bit of a class clown. Um, as you get older, you become more socialized so that acting out drops down. But for me, it'd be just tuning out trouble following directions um, and just working with what they call um, executive functions. So a lot of like organization, time management, um, missing simple details, and just in general, I guess, being a kind of more person that's on the following the winds of their emotions and feelings and being very intuitive rather than procedural and structural and a plus is that you know people with adhd are usually very like uh colorful and creative as well there's absolute positives there's no doubt about it but how do you look back on sort of your time in school you say you were diagnosed obviously as an adult so you've gone through your kind of primary and secondary education yeah not ever having that diagnosis. So how did how did the ADHD impact you in retrospect if you look back at former you? Definitely a lot of like acting out, being a class clown. And then, you know, I, I got through university and whatnot, but it was just that I was never really hitting my full potential. But it was for things that really interested in me, like the gym or my writing or dance, that what they call is hyperfocus. 
So I was all in on those things. But then when it came to work, especially working in offices, that was a real struggle at times because I was just like, oh, okay, do I just sit here at a computer for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week? Is this adult life? So, and then when, when I did lose that job, I kind of took a lot of it on myself. But then realizing the most healing part of ADHD wasn't really, you know, the medication or anything like that. It was actually the self-acceptance and actually going like, this is where I fit. Oh, and there's others with the same experience. So it was a huge turnaround to go like, okay, uh, big win in, you know, self-acceptance. And then I did try various medications, which helped with then through the side effects and everything like that, I kind of decided that I didn't want to pursue that route. So what does help you if you've gone, you know what, the meds don't benefit me in the way I would like to. So so what does work for you? Definitely gym. Like I enjoy going to train every morning. So where I, from where I live, work at home, you know, easy to get to the gym. I eat pretty healthy as well. So avoiding like, you know, a lot of, you know, high sugary junk foods. And then giving myself time to be creative. Like as long as I have an outlet for my, my energy and my then that's i think that, that's then a good helps. thing and yeah and also just like going through the process of learning um about different strategies for time management different tips and tricks like for example i have an hourglass because oh, people fabulous. with ADHD, a visual like a clock doesn't really mean as much in terms of time but when you can see 20 minutes it's it's processed different yeah um and then having you know trying to work in bursts while well, do half an hour Five-minute break, half an hour. Pomodoro. Those kind of things, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it doesn't impact your day-to-day? You, you're able to manage it? I have my clothes all over my room, which I call, my girlfriend calls a nest. Um, <laughs> the floor so drove, I call it at our place. Drove, it, it absolutely <laughs> does impact my life. And I still deal with this, this sometimes the feeling of being like, not hitting my full potential, but that is just part of life as coming to, you know, accept yourself and, um you know, working and since, you know, working in a different industry, working as counsellor, I've, you know, haven't had the issues because this is something more suited to my personality and my strengths as well. So so the challenges yeah. are not there in the same way because you're not being forced yes. into a structure or environment that's not necessarily a great fit for you. Yeah, absolutely, which I think is one of the biggest you know, ways of treating ADHD, just work with your strengths or work with your natural Instead of going against the grain and against the, the stream, go with it, you know, yeah. and just be smart in how you structure everything. Ricky, if you could, if you could have a conversation with younger you, knowing what you know now and being in the place that you're in now, what would you tell that, that you? Let her go. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would just say, like, everything you're going through right now, like, just have patience with it. You know, it doesn't have to be solved right now. Um, you know, where are you going to end up in life? The plan. I still don't know the plan, but that's, you know, how we live life is through the process of day by day, here by here. And everything you might see around you on social media or the TV is, you know, usually these kind of idealistic kind of maps. Uh, when in reality, there is no set map. Every part, everyone's path is different. And as long as you, you know, you're still making progress ultimately each day, you know, that's, that's plenty to celebrate. So it's a day by day proposition, staying in the moment and enjoying what we have right here, right now, as opposed to constantly future thinking or, you know, the old what if in the background. Yeah. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Just take, you know, rather than focusing on the desk, you know, as cliche as it is, rather than thinking about the destination, just 
think about the journey and doing those little steps. And if you do those, they will add up. Fantastic. Ricky, thanks so much for your time. I've really loved hearing your story. It's a really interesting story. Um, And thank you for being, you know, allowing us to hear it. And, you know, there's a certain level, as we we both know in the therapy world, you know, it takes vulnerability to open up and share your story with other people. But I've got no doubt that there'll be those out there that it will resonate with. So I really appreciate your time and lovely to chat with you. Likewise. And, yeah, if you anyone's interested, the platform is boyunderthebridge.com. Boyunderthebridge.com. Yeah, the the book's there for free for people to download and they can just read different, you know, posts and things like that. But, you know, yeah, I think what you're doing is great because we can have all the kind of professionals that are out there offering different services, and which is great. But there is, like you said, there's something unique about hearing it from someone who's Who's been been there. there. Yeah. Mm. And, And knowing that, you know what? We all come out the other side. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Well done. Enjoy every day. Thank you for listening to Mind Rewind. Subscribe for free for future episodes. And if you're interested in sharing your own journey, please contact us at beanstalkconsulting.com.au. If you or someone you know needs crisis support, please phone Lifeline on 13 11 14. If anyone would like to contact Ricky in relation to his book or counselling practice, we've left his email in the show notes below.